Is chat support helpful or annoying? To me, it's both. It's helpful because it's the way I prefer to be helped. It's asynchronous, it allows for multitasking, and it can be done anywhere. But it's also annoying. It sucks when you have to type something in and your customer service agent or the bot has no idea what you're talking about. Live person is trying to make customer interactions smarter. We don't have great metrics for interaction quality for automated systems. And in a more human way, nobody can talk about what a great conversation is with a chatbot. What is it? What makes it great? I can talk about what a bad conversation is. That's not that hard. Enumerating exactly what's wrong with a bad conversation is challenging and you do have to think about it. But it's a lot easier to say like, well, it doesn't understand me. I got caught in a circle. You know, all these things went wrong. But what does it mean to have a great conversation with a chatbot? Joe Bradley is chief scientist at LivePerson, and his mission is to define and anticipate customer needs and intent via each and every single customer to brand interaction. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Joe explains the difference between creating conversational AI that not only can hold meaningful conversations with the user, but also understands the intent of the customer. He also gives a look into the future of how AI will be deployed and how closing the gap between how a customer makes a request and brand knowledge will empower brands to create a better customer experience. Enjoy. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the chief scientist at Live Person, Joe Bradley. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Albert. It's nice to be here. How are you? Good, good. So I feel like everyone on earth has used Live Person, whether or not they actually know that they have. But for those who don't know, what is Live Person? Yeah, no, you're not uncommon to uh, to have realized that there's sort of a lot of people that use our technology that don't know it. We have thousands of brands that we work with and uh, have been doing so for a number of years. But we up until now have largely been like under the brands, right? So, so what we do, what Live Person does is we have a, a way for brands and customers to communicate with each other. And on the customer side, you could be inside an app messaging a brand. You could be, uh, you know, texting through SMS. You could be talking online in Japan, you could be on WeChat, right? You could be making this connection really in lots of different, typically messaging style venues. Uh, and on the brand side, they have you know an agent or an automated system. The agent would be sitting in a, in a contact center somewhere these days, they'd be you know maybe sitting at their home communicating with you uh, and they're using our software to kind of manage that interaction. And you know brands also use our software, of course, to find new automated ways for uh, to talk to their customers, which is maybe one of the exciting areas where we're trying to innovate. Yeah. And talk a little bit about that specifically, because, you know, when I think of a customer service, or I would call it a customer service centric tool, uh, you know, you mentioned before that it's, I can, wherever I'm choosing to communicate with a brand's customer service response, whether it's social, direct chat, like you mentioned, or opening up those self-help portals. When I go on a brand site, it was like, hey, do you want to talk to an agent? Those, those things open up. You wouldn't think that we would need conversational AI or anything like that because I'm talking to a person, but give our audience an idea of what it is you are accomplishing over there that's transforming the experience because it's no longer just, oh, instantly talk to an agent and that's that's that. It's 
you know, I'm typing things in, you're finding information more readily available to me, possibly on the agent side. Give us an idea of how AI plays a part in this, because it's no longer just like you said, it's no longer just one-to-one. I'm just chatting with somebody. Yeah. I mean, there's a few different ways, right? So, so the most obvious way is when you speak with one of our brands, you might speak with an automated customer service agent, or you might call it a chatbot. People use different names for these things. And our customers build these on our platform, trying to create experiences for their customers, right? So, so that's kind of the you know thing one where it's where it's the most obvious. Now, where it's less obvious, as you said, you have agents working for the brand who might get a handoff from a chatbot or, a, or a, an automated agent, and that handoff might contain some information in it, so they can help you rather than have to, you know, make you say everything you've already said again or type everything you've already typed again. They'll get the relevant information in a timely way and be able to you know, kind of start the conversation warm, which is the experience we all want, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, there's two things in the world that that really get me frustrated. Like I'm generally a pretty patient guy. One of them is traffic and the other one is lousy customer service. Yeah. And, you know, both for the same reason, right? You're just like, there's got to be a better way to do this, right? Like, why do we all have to wait at this light so long? There's nobody coming the other way. Or why is it that I can't, you know, like I've already said all this information, I've already walked one person through this or one bot through this. Why do I have to do it again? So problems like that on the service side, we kind of obsess over, right? We want to make it easy for our customers, for our brands to to build stuff where that doesn't happen. And then, you know, we also want to forge into new territory as well. We want to help brands use AI and automation to, you know, deepen customer relationships and sell products. Right? You'd be kind of shocked with how quickly or meaningfully the interaction between a customer and brand changes once you open up the medium of conversation, right? People want help. They want to talk about what they want help with in their lives. And they want brands to help them solve those problems when you give them that avenue rather than kind of quick clicking around on a website. No. Yeah. And like the idea of coming to solution faster, I'm assuming that the technology that you're providing helps that as well. Because if you rely on a single person to, let's say, diagnose or implement a solution, like that's, now you're completely dependent on, you know, you're going to have some agents that are better at it and some that are not as good at it. But if you could recommend solutions faster, then there's a more universal experience for everyone. Because you, to your point, what I was thinking about was when you made a comment about like everyone wants a solution or makes a interaction better. I think about some of the airlines that when there's a delay, they automatically offer another seat on a plane in the app. Like I think about how like, oh, Dude, I exactly that's exactly what I want. And I don't want to be told my flight's canceled. Oh, why don't you search our database for a better flight? I'm like, dude, I, I that's not what I want to do at all. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think we all want it easy. I mean, there's two sides to it, right? We want we want something easy. When something's wrong, yeah, we want an easy fix. And when we want to solve a problem that we have, we want engagement. Right. So if I, you know, am, am calling up Amazon or or texting with Amazon, you know, I want them to you know, to, to solve the problem if the order is late. But who do I talk to if I don't know what kind of, you know, patio furniture I want in my backyard, right? How do I make those decisions? For most of human history, we did that by going to a store and having a conversation, right? And, and we still do largely for the, the things that matter to us the most. But for so many things, we kind of gotten accustomed just over the last 20 or 30 years to to doing this interaction over a website, right? And, and, and sort of relying on these weird imperfect signals that are, you know, people who bought this also bought that, or people who looked at this also bought that as proxies for 
you know, what kind of problems we want to solve in our life with the, the products that we need. And so it's, it's nice to see the tide kind of turning back, right, to where conversational shopping and that kind of commerce is, is kind of coming back to life. But you're right. It starts with, can we help brands make it easy to solve their customers' problems? And, and I think where that begins for brands is, do I understand the intent of the customers that I have that as they're walking in the door? And do I have a consistent way to understand that? you know, across all the conversational touch points I have with them. So a lot of the products we released over the last year or two have been about making it really easy for brands to use their own conversational data to help them understand those customer needs in explicit and well-defined ways so they can go take action against each one. Like the example you used about my flight's been delayed. What's the best way to solve that? Or my flight's been canceled. What's the best way to solve that? Uh, so it's a huge part of our product strategy and, and frankly, the easier part of conversational AI, right? This goes under the, the rubric of natural language understanding, uh, which is, you know, still a challenging problem. Computers aren't perfect at it, yeah. but probably easier than handling the dialogues. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that, though. What makes it, you know, I, I have some theories as to what makes it so challenging. Sure. The first thing is accounting for all the different ways people communicate, colloquialism, slang, sarcasm. I mean, that's beyond. Yeah. I mean, because if everyone spoke in, let's say, proper grammar, yeah, but they typed in different languages, that'd be easy. I feel like your job would be easy. Like, it wouldn't be hard. But people don't talk like that. You know, people talk in shorthand. People don't type properly. Some people, you know, I, I, read, um, I read a piece about how people, when they type in these conversational or customer service interactions, you know, the amount of typos a person will present is significantly greater than, you know, obviously, if they were making a work paper or school paper. Sure. So you're taking all this information in. And then there's also this idea that people don't know what the proper terminology is on the, the business side. So like, for example, you know, the business might call it a SKU or like, like Amazon ASIN. What's your ASIN number? You can't ask that to a customer. They have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Those are, those are very real challenges in, you know, especially in natural language understanding, actually. The idea that I might shorthand something, that I might have a typo, that I might have a way of expressing myself that's a little bit non-standard. You know, th there are some good ways to heal those problems if you have enough data and if you use the right technology these days. We're starting to get smarter. So, uh, you know, some of these big language models, like you may have heard of GPT-3 or BERT, yep. right? These are these sort of industrial size, you know, almost national resource scale <laughs> language models that can, that can understand and, and predict. Well, that, I mean, fundamentally what they do is they predict what language surrounds other language, but they can be used for all these other things because they're good at that. Encodings that are generated from models like this do a really good job helping, you know, correct for misspelling. They do a really good job of helping, you know, understand colloquialism. So, so we're getting better at that. There's still a long way to go as, as anybody who's used an automated conversational agent recently will probably tell you, right? There's, those experiences aren't that great. Yeah. But the bigger nut, right, to crack, the bigger problem here is just, you know, is, is handling the dialogue itself, right? So, and I mean, it starts like, yes, why is it hard? It starts with what is a dialogue? Like, what does it mean to do that well? How do you even think about that, right? This is a problem that, you know, people have been, talking about how to model even what a dialogue is at the first place for a long time, right? It goes back, I mean, it goes back forever. It goes back to the Greeks and before that, but 
But even recently, you look at like, you know, you go to like the 1940s and you look at Claude Shannon and information theory and people are talking about what is communication? Well, communication is a, is passing back and forth of packets of information. That's great for physics. That's great for signal processing. But there's so much more to what's happening when you and I talk to each other, even over text, that that is like nowhere near that explanation, right? So, so probably a better explanation, uh, if you want, like the one that one that we're starting to kind of converge around, is really more about, especially in this context of you know trying to solve a problem together, right? Because when you're talking to a customer service agent or when you're trying to buy a product online, you're trying to solve a problem. You're not down there to chit chat. You're not just having whatever conversation. So if you're trying to have a goal-oriented dialogue, if you're trying to solve a problem, I think a good model is kind of a shared context, right? So, so it's less like me facing you and us passing information back and forth and more like you and I, you know, looking at the same image together or looking at the same painting on the wall or staring at the ocean together and kind of talking through the details of it. You know, if you think about when you try and solve, especially a complicated problem with someone, you're talking to an airline, let's say, and you're explaining, you know, well, how, what happened with the bill and, you know, oh, the ticket didn't arrive. And I had this problem with a literal physical ticket recently because I had a child and they needed a physical ticket. And it was, it's this whole, you spend 10 minutes explaining the problem, yeah. right? And, and you're always, you're doing all this checking in with the person to kind of like either consciously or subconsciously try and make sure they understand what everything that's happened. And they're giving you all these signals back to tell you, okay, yeah, I, I hear you that, you know, the, the letter in the mail did not arrive on time and, and you're, you're, you know, you're spending 10 minutes doing this. And then if you do that, well, you get to the end of that interaction and boom, the problem, you know, you can either solve the problem or it's out of their power and, and they can't do anything about it, but you get to one resolution or another very fast. And the way we have set up conversational AI systems by and large, right, is, is not, they're not designed to do that, right? And they're not designed to help you you know, kind of understand their inner workings. And when, when you look at how people talk to these systems, it's, it's patently clear that this is a problem because they typically do one of two things, right? Someone will come on and they'll start talking to it like a search engine, like bill, bill problem, <laughs> right? You'll do that, do that kind of thing or, you know, or order gone, right? They'll, they'll give it these words, right? Or the alternate, it's like one of two poles. The alternate choice is, they'll launch into like a six paragraph explanation of everything that happened all at once. They'll be like, got it. Right. And neither one, right. Is a, is a good way to talk to conversational AI systems that are built today. Cause they're, they're not that smart and they're not that dumb. <laughs> uh, I like that. No, the way, what you just described is exactly how I do it sometimes, because I feel like this thing is listening for keywords. So I try to give it the keywords. A lot of them are like the bad ones are right. So you're actually not wrong. Like you're not that, I mean, I, I was sort of, they're, they're not that dumb when they're good, but actually a lot of them really are that dumb. And that's, that's part of why they, they can't handle things very well. I mean, and you had all this, you know, you had this like weird explosion a few years ago of like two kinds of models for the industry and two kinds of chatbots for the industry. Right on the one hand, you had these places where you go and you set up keyword matching. And it's like, oh, this is going to be great. Like if you just set up keyword matching and make like visual IVRs, everyone will love it, right? Because we all loved IVRs the first time. <laughs> and then the other model is these like boutique startups that you're going to show up at your business as a brand. They're like, just give us your data. You don't have to tell us anything. We're going to automate all your conversations in, in you know, four months, right? Or, or four weeks or whatever the promise is. And like neither of those promises really fulfilled their expectations at all. You could see it in kind of the you know, all the startups that either were acquired or folded. 
and they're mostly required for acquisition or mostly re required for baseline technology. They weren't acquired, you know, for a working business. And it's, you know, it's two solutions to the same problem. The problem is the technology is in this intermediate state where it doesn't do everything we want it to do. And you have to be very creative to get it to be useful. But on the one hand, so, so on the one hand, you can solve that by saying, well, let's make the simplest, dumbest thing. Like, let's give you a hammer and some nails and two by fours and say, go build a house, which is not going to work. Right. Or we'll show up and we'll build a house for you out of moon rocks. But like, first we have to figure out how to get to the moon and go get the rocks. Right. Like those are kind of the, the, the two options that the industry got. Um, and so we kind of work, we've been recovering from that for the last like year and a half, basically. And, and I think to the betterment of the consumer interaction in the end, but it takes time. No, you hit on, you hit on exactly because I mean, I feel no problem saying what I had a problem with because <laughs> I need to, because it helps you frame you into what I experienced. So I was using the product QuickBooks, which of course is accounting and invoicing tool, mm -hmm. but I wanted to issue a refund for one of our customers and the cash never, the cash never left our system. So I was like, how do I issue a refund? Right. And so I must've did it wrong. So I was like, Hey, what are my steps to issue a refund? And it kept thinking I wanted a refund. It's like, I don't right. want a refund. I want to issue a refund. It's like, well, you right. don't. And, and like every person I talked to seemed to have this like disconnect. I invoiced someone incorrectly. Like, I guess kind of what you were saying, like the first thing you have to do is the agent has to see the world through your lens. It's like, Hey, I issued an, I went into the system and I thought I issued a refund. Therefore the cash would transfer, but it never happened. Yeah. And so how do I get the cash to actually transfer? Cause it's showing on my system that there's a refund. But unless someone could see what I was seeing, they automatically always assumed I wanted a refund. And I mean, it's probably <laughs> probably people too, right? Like you're not just talking about an automated system, right? Yeah. I got agents. Yeah. Agents were like, oh, you, what do you want a refund for? It's like, no, I don't want a refund. I want to issue a refund. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like, it's like, a, there's like a, it's like a one step more complicated ontology there, right? Like you're in between, like the refund is coming from you and there's like another entity in the conversation that doesn't exist in the conversation, some other customer of yours, right? Or, or, or the person you're trying to pay. Yeah. And I mean, humans aren't even always good at that, like let alone, let alone machines. But yeah, you're right. I agree that the, you know, if you can get that shared understanding and if you can get that shared context and if you can believe in it, then, you know, you have some hope. You know, I think it relates to another problem in the industry today, which is, you know, you can say a couple of different ways. You can say it in a more sciencey way. You can say, you know, we don't have great metrics for interaction quality and in, you know, for automated systems. And in a, a more human way, you can say, like, nobody can talk about what a great conversation is with a chatbot. Like, what is it? What makes it great? Like, I can talk about what a bad conversation is. That's not that hard. I mean, I mean, enumerating exactly what's wrong with a bad conversation is challenging. And, and you do have to think about it, I think, pretty hard. But, but it's a lot easier to say, like, well, it doesn't understand me. I got caught in a circle. You know, all these things went wrong. But what does it mean to have a great conversation with a chatbot? Uh, and, and, like, what do you care about? Well, I want to I go to one of the things you mentioned before, which is, like, how do you even catalog a conversation to begin with? You know, I was looking at the roster of live bar and customers trying to find a common scenario that we've all experienced. I saw, you know, Home Depot was one of your customers. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself right out the gate, like, okay, when I go to Home Depot, for example, it's very department departmentalized. Right. Right. So if I go to the plumbing section, generally the associates in the plumbing section know something about plumbing. So right out the gate, there's like a domain knowledge of what I want and what you have in offer. But if I come in through a chat tool, it's not really clear what I'm looking for, right? Is it lumber? Is it plumbing? Is it tools? Is it paint? Like, yeah. So how how do you start out the conversation around the game? Just be like, okay, I need to at least get you to the customer service agent that has the most domain knowledge about this this product line. 
Yeah, well, this is where the concept of intent and understanding intent is so powerful. So when I first got to Live Person three years ago now, you know, I, I kind of did a tour of a lot of different companies, some of the big companies we were working with, and you know, just trying to understand like how they were attacking the problem and where where they were suffering. And I remember talking to one company and having them be like, well, you know, we think like we've made some progress on using all this, you know, they have millions of conversations. We have some progress on like on, on understanding these millions of conversations and whittling them down into some user intent and some problems that customers want to solve. You know, we've been working on it for the last six months. We've had a team of data scientists. You know, we had to build a data lake, right? We do all this stuff, right? It was like, if you start adding up what they've done, you're like, okay, you've probably paid $12 million at this point, you know, just in the last six months. <laughs> like easily, easily, right? You know, because data scientists are not, they, they don't come cheap, right? Turns out yeah, they're yeah. in high demand, you know, data lake <laughs> with a petabyte of data in it. All right, like go check how much that is on AWS. This is real money. And so that motivated our product strategy, which is we want to we want to set it up so that if you turn on our product and you have a bunch of data in our system already, you know, in the first day, you know, what you're do all you have to do is go through and you know it'll give you a set of candidate intents to start from, and all you have to do is go through and check. Okay, is this a good conversational example of this intent? Is this a bad one? Check yes, check no, check yes, check no. And our goal was, you know, in that 24 hour period, we want you to be recognizing about half of your conversations that have intents in them correctly with to about, you know, 70 to 80% accuracy, right? Which is kind of the kind of an industry standard. And that was, you know, that turned out to be kind of the key, one of the keystones, I think, to, to making the, the intent understanding product, you know, take off. That opens a bunch of other doors. Okay, like now, and to your point, there's so much more you want to know or you want to help customers with than, than, than or there's a few different levels of what you want to help customers with in that same mission, right? So I, I read some of these conversations sometimes with permission of the brand, of course. And I think it's a great hardware conversation. I don't remember which company it was, but this, this guy is talking about how he's building a deck, right? And he's trying to, he's trying to learn about from the agent a bunch of things about what he needs. And it's one of these examples where there's where there's like three different levels of information, right? He's literally trying to buy a certain type of wood, you know, to a certain specification right then. He's also on this larger mission of I, I'm a deck builder today. And then at the highest level, you know, here's a DIY person, right? This is a person who, you know, is not, they're not just going to be building a deck, right? They've got probably 10 other projects around their house that they're going to get working on. And if you as a brand can use that conversation to help them and then can remember that information, of course, with their permission, of course, in a privacy right way and offer them ways to help them more going forward. You know, that's amazing. And it doesn't have to be the machine has every conversation with this person for that to have tons and tons of value for you as a brand, right? Having that data, that information, you know, knowing what this person cares about, if you can use that at scale in ways that feel good to them and help them, you know, you're going to use that to grow. No, and that's, I think the challenge, well, it's obviously the challenge you're facing, right? Because when we used to go into stores, if you could hire as a, as that hardware store, if you could hire someone who does DIY projects, works with woods and staffed them in the lumber yard, like that, the opportunity to have those like conversations where a person has imminent domain of some type of knowledge and can easily decipher language and just be like, Hey, this is what you need. This is what you're looking for. Yeah. And then point them to like, Hey, you need something else. It's much harder. I mean, it's something that I think a lot of us don't think about, but like if you try to code, like what does, what do words mean? Yeah. It's really tough. It's really tough to be like, oh, 
I know exactly what this guy needs, right? It's very tough yeah. because let's do something as simple as like rain, right? You're in Seattle. How much rain? Certain woods stand up to rain better, yeah. right? Like that's, that's a fact or hot summers. Like I live in North Carolina. Our summers are hotter. The wood that we use here is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. So all those little nuances, it's almost impossible to identify, which, you know, that's your mission. Yeah. I mean, and it gets worse. It gets worse the more you think about it and the more you actually like look at what people are talking about. You know, it's like what, like I got plaster walls and like what kind of like hook anchor is the right one, you know, for my house is a question that like it's honestly like that's not a question you should expect you know, a chatbot to be answering anytime soon. But that doesn't mean there isn't a, a place for automation and automated conversations in that context, right? Like what, what I think is kind of missing is, you know, the warmth of the handoff and the ability for all the systems to kind of work together well. And it certainly doesn't mean that the understanding isn't valuable, right? So now you told me you've got old plaster walls in your house. What do I know? I know that you have, you know, you have a house probably from, you know, the 1900s, from 1900 to like 1940 or whatever the right answer is. But I know a bunch of things. I can pick up a bunch of information about where you're living and I could probably anticipate a whole bunch of needs that you're going to have in that house. Like when was the last time, you know, it's not a new house. It might need a new roof, right? You know, it's... Yeah, wiring. Sure, wiring. I got yeah. an old knob and tube. Like here, we can help <laughs> you with a new junction box, right? I mean, it, it just, it goes, it goes so far. And again, that's not always about like getting the computer to do all the talking, but it's a dimension of value and, and growth there that that I think, you know, we're trying to get more or more and more companies are starting to see. So talk a little bit about your education and experience here, because where you sit at Live Person, you know, it's as much as language as science. I don't know. Like language is more like a so- sociology, right? Like a social science. I don't know. <laughs> but you have a degree. I mean, we're looking at your LinkedIn, right? You got it. Oh, it's all over the place. You're a doctor of philosophy <laughs> And physics, is that accurate? Uh, just physics. No, no, PhD of physics. Yeah. I got to start. PhD of physics. You got a master of arts in mathematics and you have a BA in English. So that's two sciences, one social science. Like, right. talk about that range. Did you, when you were going through school, did you know you would end up like, you know, trying to code? I don't know if you call it coding language, but right. <laughs> cataloging dialogue. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you left out the opera singing too, but that's not on LinkedIn. So that's not your fault. Yeah. Um, well, I, no, I know. I'm aware that you are a classically trained singer too. <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, like, I wish I could say I'd be a better person if I could say it was all part of some grand design. Right. For me, I followed my interests and it, it led me somewhere, but I think everything does kind of add up in the end if you, you know, if you look at it a certain way. The biggest thing about it, the meta point, you know, and and I try and make this point with scientists that work on my teams a lot, especially the ones that want to grow their career, is, you know, there's value to learning new, languages is the wrong word, but learning new way, like new discourse communities and, and start and accepting and being interested in new discourse communities, right? There's this, there's this tendency I think on the, especially on the science side to kind of invalidate, you know, like, Oh, those salespeople, like they don't know what they're talking about. They don't even use data for anything. You know, a lot of times it's not even like the criticisms are exactly wrong, but they, but you kind of miss the point, like what you're doing when you create that mindset in yourself as a scientist is you're limiting yourself. And you're saying like, you're not listening, like, cause they spend their day out there working with your customers. They spend their day out there learning about how people work with your product and understanding it. And you're not letting that knowledge in, you're kind of resisting. Uh, and so I think 
I do often, look, especially for scientists in leader, leadership positions that work for me, I often look for some of these signs that they have like a variety of interests, right? Because it means they're willing and open to kind of look at the world from a variety of perspectives and, and not just kind of the, the one that's codified in the academic journals. And so for me, the, I value that, right? I, I mean, obviously, I, you know, everybody's kind of biased towards, towards um, hiring and developing people that are like them. And that, that's its own problem. But I, I value that. I think, I think that's served me probably more than anything else in my career. And of course, the you know, one through line is the interest in language itself, right? So you know, if you're willing to go with music as a language, which I, which I think is, is kind of sort of true, but certainly the English literature, certainly the language of mathematics, and then how, that, how that's kind of made manifest in the, the realities around you, right? Like for me, the, the through line is probably, hey, how do we explain and express and understand the real things that happen around us so we can manipulate it and kind of do it better. And I don't think that's just a science pursuit. I think that's a creative and, and artistic pursuit, you know, as well, if you're going to, if you're going to innovate. Yeah. I mean, I think this discipline suits you well. I mean, because the language, like human language, human interaction, human need is, it's uncodable. Like it feels like it's uncodable. I know you're attempting to, right. But, but everyone comes in and approaches things with different intent. I'm curious for yourself, when in your career were you, did you realize like, Hey, this is potentially codable. Like, how did how did you get down the path? Of like, hey, I can I can identify language and put it to a most likely scenario. Yeah. Well, I mean, ask me in five years, and we'll see how well we did. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't think anybody really has is like certainly nobody's finished with that problem, right? But right. I think where the industry is is like we're we're just starting to get a handhold on the wall. You know, maybe in the same way that for image recognition, if you go back to like 2006 or 2007, you know, that was always this like really intractable problem. Uh, and there's like great, great like online cartoon jokes about this. Now, I think we're seeing kind of the first, the first handholds for language. And, and it, come, it comes in the form of natural language understanding. Well, actually, I guess you can go back to translation earlier, but that's a pretty different problem. I mean, the way I would say it is like, I think this is a really meaningful problem space. And I think to your point, it collects a lot of aspects of being human, you know, right there with it to solve it well in a way that maybe a problem space like image recognition doesn't as much, right? Not that that isn't interesting. It's a great problem space. I certainly wouldn't, um, you know, talk down to people who work on that. It's, it's really interesting work. But for me, the notion that we can use these machines so that we can bring these machines closer to us in terms of communication, which is you know, also in my mind, ultimately one of the things that, that makes it really special to be human in the first place is that we can communicate with this much fidelity and with this, you know, this informatively, that we could start to help machines do like, like take steps towards that and learn and, and, and in process, learn a little bit about what it means for us to do that in the first place and how it really works for us. Cause it's not something I think we understand all that fully. You know, that's a really fulfilling and interesting and rich mission, I think. And at that level, I feel lucky to um, to be part of it. But it did happen kind of incrementally, right? I was, yeah. you know, doing physics, shooting x-rays at stuff, you know, <laughs> doing a bunch of statistics, learning machine learning, and then, you know, and then in Amazon and at Nike working on customer journeys and trying to learn about, like, how people kind of behaved vis-a-vis -vis the products that they have. Like, how do you shop for socks? How do you shop for cell phone cases? How do you shop for curtains? You know, beginning to kind of get interested in the behavioral element of all this, like in a, you know, hopefully a non nefarious way. I think there's this funny side of our industry where, you know, if you go too far, you can, you can start to take advantage of customers and we're very cognizant to not do that. But that was kind of a step along the way. And then the opportunity of live person, 
you know, really was a natural extension to all the consumer journey work we've been trying to do at Nike and the understanding of consumer personas and the understanding of what people want and how they, how they talked and how they behaved and how that, how that fit with how they could be helped. You know, they always talk about, you mentioned before, like bringing the world of the consumer in with the person on the other side at live person. And then with the rise of, you know, faster networks, faster compute speeds, faster image processing, do you see a place where someone's going to be like, the, like live person just going to be like, hey, by the way, take a picture of your problem right now. I mean, for, for the problem that can't be taken a picture, right? So like, yeah. so installing a deck is hard because it doesn't exist, right? But maybe you would say, hey, show me where you want to install the deck. Like show me like, use a video of the right. wall, use the video of your outside space. Right. And then by doing that via my cell phone, I could send you my coordinates. So you would know the weather, you would know all kinds of pieces of information about me. Is that going to be part, you think, in the near future of customer service interactions where they're not even going to ask me a question like, hey, show me a picture of what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we have the kind of co-browsing technology on computers already that allows you to, to do image sharing really easily. And, and yes, I, I think people communicate really. I mean, a picture is worth a thousand words is everybody's favorite old adage, right? Yeah. And it is. People communicate really, really effectively to, to each other through this imagery. And if you go back to that model of a dialogue as a as a kind of shared built context, right? This this thousand word picture becomes, you know, a very, very fast way to build that up that, you know, two people can have or a person a computer can start to have, right? And, and it, it, this is sort of where, you know, some of the latest trends in machine learning get really interesting because now as opposed to the model training of like a GPT or a BERT, where you have, you know, models that are trained largely or exclusively on text, right? And they, they understand the world only through text, right? They actually only understand the text world is probably the right way to say it. You now have, you know, people looking at uh, what you call grounded machine learning, right? Or grounded model training, right? Where, where now, you know, you're, you're sort of combining the learning and the training that you do on text with the learning and training you would do on images or other representations of physical space. And, you know, eventually, of course, this, this will become more and more multimodal and, and we'll train sort of more and more robust models that do a better job at approximating really how we learn, right? Because I don't know if you have kids, but, but I have kids. I do. Three. Oh, awesome. Me too. Yeah. And they're, they're three crazy little monsters in the best possible sense of these three boys. Uh, and, and they're all kind of learning. They're seven and nine now. So they're all kind of, they're right in the thick of like conscious learning. But one thing I noticed about them all the way through up was they don't learn in this like funny supervised way that we train most of our models, right? They're not standing there being like, is that blue? Is that blue? Is that red? Is that a car? Is that a tree? I mean, they do a little of that, but if you think about how much they really learn and how little they ask and how little of that supervision they need, there's so much going on under the hood there. And there's so much inference they're making about their world and so much of it's possible because they have these different forms of input, right? They have conversations on the one hand, they have, you know, their visual cues on the other, they have their spatial and the, the way their body works and their understanding of reality on this hand. So just, uh, it was a long-winded answer to like, yeah, the conversations need to become more multimodal because that's natural for us. Uh, and the models themselves also need to be trained to handle those situations, not only because it's more useful to us to build models that do that, but also because it's a better way to teach a model not to do stupid things or not to be wrong about the world in ways that are very, very obvious to us. Yeah. And one of the things that I think about that I always wonder about, like language for customer service, is when people start applying, like, uh, I would call it like degrees, like degrees of, like, for example, if I were to explain to you that I wanted a pillow, you'd be like, 
or a mattress. You're like, well, what do you like? Mm -hmm. And I say firm. Now you have no concept of what I think firm is. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. Think about how much knowledge is just tacit to our world. Like you mentioned, like your kids make inferences about the world around them based on their experiences. Right. And we all do that because if you ask me, well, what kind of mattress do you want? I'd be like, I'd I'd say I'd like a firm one, but you have no clue like what that means. (laughs) And I mean, you want to talk about bias, right? Like that's all, that's like a great example of where bias is going to enter into a conversation, right? You you're, I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you come from in the world, Yeah, but you could come from somewhere in the world where firm means is basically a stone slab, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like Japan, like a lot of people in Japan, like they sleep, it's basically a straw mat on wood. Yeah, or you could come from, you know, some whatever, like cushy <laughs> California community. I don't know, just to pull some out of the sky where like everybody's got the plush platform beds, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then firm would be like, you know, it, like it doesn't have a fixed meaning. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's a real, like that, that goes way beyond AI, of course, right? That's like yeah. anytime two people are trying to have a conversation, establishing that foundation, establishing that language and knowing when to establish that and when to trust it. Like these are intuitions that we do imperfectly. We have imperfectly, but that we, that we have like not unsuccessfully, right? Like we're pretty good about intuiting. You know, if you were coming to me and you clearly spoke English with an accent that I didn't recognize and, you know, we're coming from a really different place. I'd be more likely to, to kind of like have my spider sense up about like, well, I should question some of these things. Cause this, this person seems like they're coming from somewhere kind of different. And so I think there's a lot of challenge there even to like, there's a lot of challenge getting humans to do that. Well, of course there's tremendous challenges in getting AI to do that. Well. And, and, and of course there, the stakes are also very high. No, I am. It's fascinating problems that you're attempting to solve. And I can see how, you know, to us as a, let's say the general consumer, we have a difficult time, I'd say, seeing in the, the amount of effort that's going into technology like live person. But you know, we all, like you said, we all know what a good experience is, the fast resolution to conclusion, yeah. which is like, I guess what you got to measure at the end is like, oh, does it, did this feature come to a fast resolution? I think that's part of it, but there's more than one, right? Like if it's a problem, I want it fast and I want it easy, but, or, you know, what if it's something I'm interested in? What if it's something I want to explore? Like, look at Reddit. Like I'm learning a new product. Like Reddit exists because in a lot of ways, I mean, I shouldn't say only exists, but I think one really good reason why Reddit exists is that it creates these places for people to go explore things they're really interested in, right? And to hear from other people or to learn about it or to find new content, right? And so, you know, the point at which we can create systems, part of the goal should be to create systems that help you do that, right? That help you quickly you know, learn more about what you want to learn. That doesn't mean the computer has to know everything, but the computer can take some cognitive load off you. Like if I want to go, you know, let's say I want to get fit, right? Let's say I want to work out, you know, right now you ask any conversational agent you have out there, your Alexa, your Google home, whatever, go ask it. Hey, I want to get fit and see what it does. Right. And what it'll give you is a very transactional answer. It'll be like, Hey, go, you know, here's, here's a list of content or something. And then it's done. Right. <laughs> right? It'll be like, yeah, hey, I have some apps for that. And that's it. Right. Uh, but I think what we want is some, you know, is a little bit of a partner and what where computers can play a role right now is a little bit of partnership in helping us manage things like that that last over time, right? If I want to get fit, well, all right, like what YouTube personalities have I found that have workout videos that I like, like, and, and can the system remember that? And we use our browser for that. We use all these, we have all these proxy tools that we, that we sort of have on our devices that, that help us kind of piece all that together. But man, wouldn't it be nice if you could interact with those things conversationally and if they could take some of that cognitive load and that cognitive burden 
off your hands, right? And then now you're exploring. Again, it doesn't mean the machine knows everything, but it's helping you just a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, also the power of Reddit is I think what you just said and like what makes me pull into Reddit and it's like, there seems to be domain experts that you have access to. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll have to beep this out, but like, you know, Wall Street Bets, anytime you meet a guy named Deep Value who's making $30 million <laughs> betting on GameStop, it makes you believe that there are people in this community that know more about the world than what is on the surface. Yeah. Right. You keep hearing these stories about what people on Reddit are uncovering and it's like, dude. This is like a the world of real knowledge. It makes you it makes you feel pulled in. Yeah. So anytime like when we get to that point where conversational AI can actually uncover something that you otherwise didn't know exists, yeah. Then I think I agree. Then you're there. You're like this thing knows more than the surface, and that that pulls you in. That's really interesting. I think the earlier point is when it creates really meaningful and easy ways to connect you, you know, into some of those communities and to and to like help you understand what's out there. So you can go find, you know, something similar to what you like an expert similar to what you might find on a Reddit. Right. So there's <laughs> I think there's that development too. that kind of in a lot of ways, like I just kind of want the UX of the world to be more conversational because, you know, that that's real low overhead in my mind. Right. That's like a, an action. It's not like doing long division, you know, like and, and I don't love like, you know, looking through my phone and like pointing and clicking at little tiny things and filling in text fields. Right. What I really want is something that like has almost zero cognitive overload or overhead that that lets me kind of get out into the Internet and find what I want to find. Joe, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to say thank you for joining us on IT Visionaries. But before we let you go. Yeah, it is time for the lightning round. Lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Joe, this is where we ask you questions not related to work so our audience can get to know you a little better. Okay. Well, this is exciting because I had no idea this was coming. So let's do it. There you go. You were trained in classical singing. Is that right? Or opera? Correct. Uh, classical singing, I would say more broadly, but a little bit of opera. When's the last time you sang in front of an audience? In front of an audience, it's been a long time. It's been about probably 15 years. I keep meaning to go back to it. Once the kids get older, I'm going to do it again. Do people tell you when you sing, like maybe in the shower, like your wife, does, do they think you're good? I don't think my wife would want me to think I'm too good. Uh, I'm kidding, obviously. No, I, so I get it sometimes. Yeah, I get it sometimes. Awesome. What's your favorite uh, musician or music band that you like listening to? Man, that's a really good question. It depends on the epoch of life. Uh, you know, I've been listening to far too much children music for the last five, 10 years, but. Uh, oh, that, that hurts. That hurts. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, it's good, but you know, uh, it gets a little, I, I mean, I, I, I grew up on classical music and, and so, you know, the, like, I, I probably fell in love with like a Bach maybe first, you know, just the complexity and the richness of the textures of how he kind of works melodies together for me have always been pretty fascinating and they kind of open up your mind, right? There's the whole, like, it gets you in a state where I think I feel like a better person, which, which I like, I like it when music does that. Do you uh, play instruments? I started playing the ukulele back there and I'm not very good at it, but I started playing with my son. He's also still learning, uh, but it's pretty fun. It's, it's a good way to relax. All right. Last question. In your opinion, it is said that listening to classical music actually opens up your mind. It makes it, you can learn more if you're listening to classical music. Do you believe that's true? I don't believe it's exclusive to classical music, but I absolutely believe that music affects, you know, how successful and and useful your thought processes. Uh, in fact, if you go back and look at, you know, or read a little bit about meditation, a lot of cultures will say like the starting point of meditation is like just listening. 
right? So if you want to get into a meditative mindset, which can be measured, right? You can see the value or at least the effects of that in brainwaves, you know, that, that the ears are a way into that and a way to kind of turn off some of your default mode, you know, thinking, which is, is maybe not the most satisfying place for your mind to be. So, so yeah, I don't know if it's just classical, but I certainly believe it includes classical and, and it works for me. There you go. That's it. Joe, thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your experience your knowledge. And I agree. I think if you do listen to music, it does open your mind somehow. Like it makes it easier to absorb information. My mom used to always criticize me for why am I listening to rock music while studying? I was like, Hey, I absorb it better. I believe it. And I still do. Thank you so much for your time. It was a lot of fun to talk. Great to speak with you. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.